Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Yesterday when I was starting out to teach the uh, ladies' Bible study, this letter from Dr. Dobson was put in my hands and it was exactly what we're going to be talking about in the Bible study today. And it really shows us the signs of the time. So I wanted to read just a few things out of it to you. Dr. Dobson said, My misgivings about American-style justice did not originate with the Simpson story. They can be traced to recent celebrated cases where the victim became the villain and the villain became the victim. The most dramatic example of this travesty occurred during the trials of Eric and Lyle Menendez. Let me review the facts as we know them. The night their mother and father were murdered in 1989, Eric called 911, claiming someone killed my parents. He and his brother denied any involvement in the crime and took great care to avoid suspicion. Eric gave a touching eulogy at the funeral, and the boys hired a bodyguard to protect them in case the killer came back. They suggested that the mafia had done it. The deception went on for months and may, have ne- may never have been unmasked. However, a tape recording came to light which had been made secretly by Eric and Lyle's psychologist. It contained a blatant admission by the boys that they had shot their parents. Oops, there went their alibi. The boys were forced to confess they had pumped 16 rounds of ammunition into Jose and Kitty Menendez while they were eating strawberries and ice cream in front of the TV. Then having inherited $14 million, the boys went on a $700,000 spending spree buying a $70,000 Porsche and many other extravagant toys. Part of the Menendez fortune was also spent to obtain the best legal counsel money could buy. A team of crack attorneys went to work on the case facing an enormous challenge. How could the jury be made to understand that the boys needed to blow away their parents with shotguns? Why, of course, how simple, just blame the victims. Eric and Lyle proceeded to tell the court an an, uh, elaborate account of abuse and neglect by their father. Dad had driven them to this violent act, and they said by doing terrible things to them as children. Now, whether their story is true or not seems irrelevant to me. Remember that Lyle and Eric were grown men who could have left home if life there was intolerable. And since when did it become acceptable to kill one's parents, even awful parents, after growing up? Also, how did they justify the killing of Mrs. Menendez, who had not abused the boys? During the trial, Eric admitted finishing off his wounded mother as she tried to crawl away. Despite the brutality of that moment, it was the dead parents who were put on trial in the courtroom. They were convicted of the most terrible crimes without legal representation and without being able to tell their story or confront their accusers. The villains became the victims, and the victims became the villains. Despite the overwhelming evidence against the brothers, including their recorded admissions of guilt, both juries hung and the boys were not convicted. What a miscarriage of justice. Jill Lansing, Lyle's brilliant attorney, later bragged about how she had introduced doubt into the case that the prosecution had seen originally as a done deal. The Menendez case is only one of the many recent trials in which high-powered attorneys say victimology, have used victimology to manipulate the juries. Revisit with me another crime that many of us witnessed on television. It featured the truck, the the trucker, Reginald Denny, 
an innocent bypasser who found himself engulfed in the 1992 Los Angeles riots. Denny was dragged from his rig by two rioters, Monroe Williams and Henry Keith Watson, who began beating and kicking him unmercifully. When he was dazed and helpless, Watson pinned him down with a foot on his neck while Williams threw a brick at his head, disfiguring him and nearly killing him. Then Williams did a little victory dance, which the Time magazine called demonic. Denny, a, a, a man his attackers didn't even know, was hospitalized for 16 days for multiple physical injuries and brain trauma. He has had recurring physical problems since, including blood clots in his legs and lungs. Police helicopters and cameras overhead captured the event on videotape. That recording was the, was the centerpiece of the subsequent trial which revealed the viciousness of the assault by Williams and Watson. Another open and shut case. We saw it with our own eyes. But you heard about the verdict. Time called it something close to acquittal. Out of 12 counts facing both men, the jury returned only one felony conviction. For trying to kill Denny and permanently damaging his face, Williams was found guilty of simple felony. That's it. And he can appeal the decision. Watson was convicted of a misdemeanor assault charge that carried only a six-month jail term. Because the judge counted the time he had served prior to the trial, he walked out a free man. How did the attorneys get these two men off? A committee of citizens was formed to demand justice for the defendants and to portray them as scapegoats, political prisoners, and victims. The Menendez men were said to be victims of their parents. The two men in Los Angeles who almost killed the truck driver were said to have been victims of racial discrimination. Now, this is an excellent example of what we're going to be talking about in this Bible study today. Today we're going to be talking about a certain type of mentality. We're going to be talking about something that I call victimization, being a victim. Now very seldom does a week go by that I don't see the dynamics of this mentality in countless numbers of people. The world is full of victims of one description or another. It's uncanny. You know, practically every modern movie that you see and every story that you read is about a victim. In fact, newspaper reporters will just fall all over themselves trying to be the first one to get a good story about a victim because society loves a good victim. I want you to notice the feature newspaper articles. The word victim is in practically every other headline. It's either talking about a victim of rape or a victim of an accident or a victim of cancer or a victim of this or a victim of that. And you'll even hear the news media ask questions like, are you a victim of thus and so? Are you a victim of domestic violence or are you a victim of mental abuse or are you a victim of somebody's prejudice? See, we're being programmed day in and day out, consciously and subconsciously, to search for areas where we feel like we've been victimized. Now, I looked up the word victim in Webster's and a victim is someone who is killed, destroyed, injured, or otherwise harmed, or someone who is suffering from some act from some condition, from some agency, or some circumstance. Now let me ask you, is there any one of us who doesn't fall in that category in one way or another? You know, every one of us have suffered from some act or some condition or some agency or, or some circumstance at some time in our life. So by that standard, we would all be classified as a victim. 
And the world is doing its very best to make us know that and to realize that we're victims. Now today, I'm wanting us to see the scheme of the enemy in this. See, the subject of victimization is just popping up at every turn. And that's no accident. There's a reason behind it. See, Satan tries to make us feel like a victim in some area, but he doesn't even stop there. See, his work is not complete until he gets us then to start centering in on that area where we feel like we've been victimized. Now, you may be thinking, well, what harm does it, uh, is it for me to see myself as a victim? Because after all, I have suffered in, in this area. Well, the reason that it's harmful for us to start seeing ourselves as a victim is because it's a, very, a part of a very destructive plan of the enemy. See, Satan wants us to start getting a victim mentality. Now, anytime the world begins to coin a phrase and, and promote the idea, we need to watch out. Now, I'm going to paint a picture of how a victim thinks. A victim mentality will always think negatively in the area where they've been uh, victimized. Think about it. Now, I'm not talking about a victim who's gotten healed and, boy, they're going on with God. I'm talking about someone who still sees themselves as a victim, either consciously or subconsciously. They're going to think negatively in that area. Now, most of us are not going to see ourselves as 100% a victim, but most of us do have some areas in our life where we subconsciously think that we've been victimized. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll realize there's some areas where you're, you have subconsciously seen yourself as a victim. We have areas where we think we've either been harmed or we've been made to suffer by some act or, or by some condition, maybe uh, uh, some sickness or disease, or by some agency. It can be a business agency or political or by some circumstance, every one of us. And in that area where we think we've been harmed or where we think we've been made to suffer, if we'll look closely enough, we'll find at least one or maybe a combination of several of the following. We're going to find that in that area, there, there may be some anger. There may be some self-pity. We may feel like a martyr. There may be some despair or, or some, even some hopelessness. Or sometimes there's inferiority. Sometimes it's left us where we feel insecure. See, that list could go on and on. Feeling victimized breeds these cesspools in our mind and in our emotions. Now, we've talked about how a victim thinks. They think negatively. Now, I want to paint a picture of the feeling that you experience when you see yourself as a victim. Now, if I could give you just one word to describe how a victim feels, what do you think that would be? Think for just a minute. If I could give you one word to tell you how a victim feels, it would be helpless. In the area where we feel like we've been victimized, we feel helpless. Now, any time the devil makes us feel helpless, then we need, to, we need to do something about it. Because if he can make us feel helpless, then he can take us into the direction that he wants us to go. And his ultimate goal is to destroy us. Now, we never have to be helpless in any situation if we know God. I can't say that often enough. There is not a situation in the world where we have to feel helpless or think negatively or think of ourselves as having been victimized if we know God because God has an answer for anything that can be coming against us. Now, somebody told me about an article in a popular Christian magazine, and I would love to have found that article and read it myself. But they said that the guy had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and the doctor had given him no hope 
And the doctor made this statement. He said, you are a victim of cancer and you have only a few months to live. Well, this man said that something sparked on the inside of him and he revolted at that term victim. And so he began to search the scriptures. He felt like the Lord told him to go to the word of God. And he did. And as he was looking, all of a sudden the passage where it said that Jesus saw the woman who had the spirit of infirmity and she had had it for 18 years. And he realized that God was trying to speak to him. God was speaking something on the inside of him. And he read that passage where Jesus said, seeing that this woman was a daughter of Abraham, this ought not be. And he said it just jumped off the page. And all of a sudden he realized God was trying to tell him something about himself. And he realized that being a son of the Most High God, this cancer in his body ought not be. And so he would go to the doctor, but the moment that a doctor would begin to refer to him as a victim, he would find another doctor. He said that even if they didn't use the term victim, if, if they saw him as a victim or, or if they treated him as a victim, that, that he would leave and go to another doctor because he said he knew that message was coming across loud and clear in the spirit realm. And he said that he knew that as long as he felt victimized, the enemy was going to win. It always opens us up to the enemy. Now, you may have never used the term victim in referring to yourself, but you may still be feeling victimized. And it may just be subconscious. But that's where the danger is. See, this man saw the unsurmountable danger of seeing himself as a victim or having the doctor see him as a victim. Because when we see ourselves as a victim of something, that means we've bought that condition. That means that we've accepted it. That means that we've come to a place where we see that as our lot in life. Now, he said that attitude was going to be a lot more dangerous to him than the cancer itself. Now, the person that related the story said that he was still alive and well years after the terminal date had come and gone. He refused to see himself as a victim. He refused because he realized he was the son of the Most High God, and so he wasn't a victim of anything. Now, you're not going to get healed you're not going to get your deliverance. You're not going to see victory as long as you see yourself as a victim of that particular thing. Now, it may be subconscious, but as long as you're seeing yourself as a victim, you're not going to be an overcomer. Even your immune system is not going to work properly. See, we can crank up our immune system with our mind, what we, the things that we think on. We can pull it down when we're thinking negatively, and we can pull it up as we begin to think on the things that God tells us to think on. He said, dwell on those things that are good and pure. See, your body was created by God to create within itself everything that it needs. God made us that way. And so our body was made to produce what it needs to be able to function. Because God put that ability down inside of our physical body. But our immune system is not going to work properly when we see ourselves, say, as a victim of a certain disease. In that area where we're thinking negatively, what we're doing, we're receiving it and it throws our immune system off. Now your area of feeling victimized may not be in the area of sickness, but in whatever area that you feel victimized, you're going to begin to think negatively in that area. And what it'll do, it'll create an atmosphere that's conducive to failure and it's conducive to disaster. You can mark that down. Okay, what is the answer? Well, the first step toward the answer is in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus never allowed, ourself, allowed us to see ourselves as a victim. All through the Word, you'll find He never allowed that. I want you to look up Matthew 5, verse 11. Matthew chapter 5. 
in verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, he said, and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, we find that Jesus stopped and he said, you're going to be falsely accused. He said, men are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you physically, mentally, emotionally. They're going to say all manner of evil against you falsely. Okay, he's describing a victim right there. You can put out in the margin of your Bible that that's a a good description of a victim. Well, what was he saying then? He was saying, it's not fair what's going on, but rejoice and be exceedingly glad anyway because you're going to win. See, he wasn't saying it's okay that that you're being treated that way. He was stating a fact. He said, these things will happen. Now, he was describing a victim, but he said that when it happens, rejoice and be glad. Okay, what else was he saying to rejoice and be glad for? He was saying to rejoice because you're not a victim. You're an overcomer. You can win in the long run, he said, if you'll go with me, if you'll do it my way. He was saying don't receive that victimization. See, you cannot be a victim and be an overcomer at the same time. Okay, what he was giving us here was a principle for every situation in our life. So don't fall for Satan's trap. Rejoice. We are not victims of anything. Uh, you, you know, we really should get angry. There should be a, a righteous indignation that just rises up on the inside of us any time there's a situation or a circumstance that's trying to make us feel victimized. We need to rise up and say, no, that's not mine. This ought not be. I'm a, a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Jesus died so that we no longer have to be a victim. He died so that we can be an overcomer. We couldn't be the overcomer if it hadn't been for the blood of Jesus. But now that he's given us his blood and he's given us his name, we can be an overcomer. Now, we may not always feel like an overcomer, but we are because the Bible says we are. Today, we're going to look at some ways through which victimization can come in. And then we're going to look at some results that can come from accepting the role of a victim. Then next week... We're going to look at some biblical examples of a potential victim. And then we're going to look at four of God's divine escapes from victimization. Now, next week's lesson is so very important. But first, some ways in which victimization can come in and some results from accepting the role of victim. Now, I'm going to take Webster's definition of a victim, and I'm just going to give you a very simple summarization. A victim is anyone who has been assaulted by a person or or a circumstance. That's what a victim is. Anyone that has been assaulted by a person or a circumstance. Now again, does that leave anybody out? No. Now there may be varying degrees of assault, but we've all been assaulted by a person or by a circumstance at one time or another. Now if it's through a person, it can come through words, it can come uh, through their actions, or it can even come through a negative attitude that they have toward us. Words can victimize. You know, anytime someone is putting out gossip or, or insulting you or slandering you or, or uh, being sarcastic to you or put down, that's an opportunity to receive that victimization. And see, all those things are, that are being said, they can cause victimization, whether they're true or not. If it's received, it can cause us to be a victim. 
the actions and the attitude of another person can cause victimization. Anytime a person mistreats you or anytime that, that they reject you or, or they hold back their love, that can bring on a victimization. But I'm wanting you to realize that God created us with a protective wall around our soul and our spirit so that we don't have to receive that in. You know, just like the physical body is covered by skin and it, and it holds out germs and it holds out bacteria. In the same way, there is an invisible protective covering around our soul and our spirit. Now, it's the promises of God. It's the blood of Jesus. They're real. And that is a protection that absolutely cannot be penetrated unless we take in that assault. Now, if those assaults are taken in, then what happens? It causes a breach or it causes a break in that protective wall that God has put around our soul. It causes a crack in the wall. Therefore, really another good definition for a victim is someone that has a crack or has a, a break in that protective wall that has come from some assault. Okay, now let me give you an example of this in the natural realm from the Old Testament. Nehemiah came back from captivity and he found that the Jerusalem walls were down. There were breaks in the wall. Before he, did, before he did anything else, before they tried to rebuild the city or anything, they repaired the wall. Now the reason they did that because they knew as long as there was a break in the wall, the enemy could come in. So that was the first thing that they did. They repaired the break in the wall. Well, that's a type and shadow of victimization. When we're assaulted, if we accept it, it makes a break in our wall for the enemy to come through. The wall is down. You know, you'll remember in the book of Hosea when Gomer, Hosea's wife, was playing the harlot. God told Hosea to put a spiritual hedge of protection around her to protect her. Anytime we have a loved one that has a breach in, in, or, or a crack in their wall, it may come in from uh, rejection or maybe they've received hurts or, or maybe they're in rebellion or maybe they, they're in sickness of some kind, we can pray for a spiritual hedge around them so that the enemy can't come and take advantage of their weakened condition. Because, see, once a person has been victimized, then the enemy's going to attack in that area again and again until that breach is repaired. And only God can repair the breach. You know, when Mexico fought against uh, uh, Texas in the Battle of the Alamo, they worked until they made a break in the Alamo Wall. Now, the men in the Alamo were relatively safe until the break came in the wall. But once that break came, then they kept hitting again and again in that same weakened place until the wall was down, and then defeat came. Now, in the spiritual realm, if a curse is handed down in the bloodline or, say, a temptation to sin, and a person falls for that temptation, then suddenly, when we're in sin, we find there's a break in that protective wall. And... Uh, the enemy then, he's going to come back to that same area of weakness with one temptation after another because he knows there's a crack in the wall. And as long he keeps hitting in that area because he knows that's a weakened place. Now, before we talk about how to mend the crack, we need to talk for just a moment about what we do that holds that breach open, that keeps widening that, that opening for the enemy. Anytime we react the world's way instead of reacting God's way, we're going to find that that holds that, that, uh, that opening. It just keeps widening the opening. And it makes, it makes it easier and easier for the enemy to come in. Now, that's why the enemy makes the world's way of reacting seem so easy. Now, only God's spiritual answers are ever going to heal these broken places, 
Only the answers of God are going to repair the wall. That, that's the only thing that is going to repair this breach. We're going to find out that when we take the word and make it our final authority in every single area of our life, then we're going to find those areas where we've had a breach in the wall that's protecting our soul and our spirit. Pretty soon, that's going to start healing those areas and putting that protection back. When we turn to someone who doesn't give us God's truth, or any time we turn to something other than God to receive comfort or to receive counsel, then all it's going to do is open that, that opening. It's going to allow that opening to our soul and our spirit. Now, most of us, us have allowed that, that breach in the wall to be there most of our lives simply out of lack of knowledge. But you know, the time has come that God is wanting us to react His way every single time. Now, we haven't been born in this end-time generation for nothing. Every single one of us are here for a purpose. We have a job to do. And that's why God is bringing the good news to us that we don't have to be a victim of circumstances and we don't have to fall for the things that the enemy's bringing. He's bringing the good news to us that we can be healed, we can be set free because we've got a job that we've got to do. Every one of us have something to do in this end time army. But as long as we see ourselves as a victim of circumstances, we're not going to get the job done. We're not going to do what we've been called to do. Now, he's wanting us to run to him for comfort, to run to him for counsel, because when we do, it, it closes up that break in our spiritual soul rather than widening it. Now, I'm going to cover some things that can come as a result of having been victimized. Now, some people are living an under-par uh, life. They're living in under-par situations, and they don't even realize why. They don't know why it's happening. They don't know where it's coming from. For example, some people were victimized when they were small children. One of the results that can come in from early victimization is that sometimes a person will just shut down in a certain area. You know, I read about one case where the coach had really browbeaten this young man that was on his team because of some kind of, of mistake that he had made on the playing field. And because that coach was such a significant figure in that young man's life at that particular time. He subconsciously saw himself as a failure. He saw himself incapable of doing it right because he thought that was the way that the coach saw him. And so he shut down. Ten years later, he had become incapable of initiating anything because of that fear of failure. Now, I know that's an extreme example, but it shows us the ultimate plan of the enemy. You know, sometimes the victimization will result in internal anger and, and it'll manifest in rage. And that's why a lot of people will just blow up over seemingly nothing and you think, my goodness, what's wrong with them? You know, what's happening? Well, often it's because of early victimization and they've never gotten a healing from it. They've always pushed it down and they've never allowed the Word of God to come in and, and bring that healing. Now, there's all kinds of extreme examples of the results of victimization, but that's not what this Bible study is about. I'm not really wanting us to center in on the extreme cases because the average listener now is not going to be in the extreme. I'm simply wanting us to see that all of us legitimately have areas where we've been victimized in different ways and to different degrees. And in that area, if we react the world's way, it is going to bring devastating results. And it's going to stay that way until we quit seeing ourselves as a victim. It has, it has so much to do with our mental outlook in that area. 
Now, the victimization may have been real. You know, we may, every one of us have probably been legitimately victimized. But it's what we do with it now that's going to determine whether we're going to have success or failure. It's what we decide to do with it today from this day forth. Now, since most victimization occurs from relationships, then when a person feels abandoned or rejected by somebody that's close to them, they often begin to mistrust. They begin to feel betrayed, which makes some people begin to put up an emotional barrier between themselves and someone else. And that barrier or that wall that we sometimes put up to protect ourselves now, that's not the protective wall that I was talking about earlier that God gives to us. See, when we put up our own walls, that's going to do nothing more than hold the victimization in, and it does damage, because God never intended us to protect ourselves by the arm of flesh. He never intended it to be done that way. When that happens, see, different bad results can occur. Let me give you some examples. Some people will develop fantasies. Some people dream about the ideal situation that might have been. And they follow after that fantasy and they never to stop to enjoy what they have right now because they're following after a fantasy. Some people are driven from one marriage to another marriage simply because they're seeking after the ideal situation. Or one of the most common results that develops is a performance mentality. Now that comes when a person tries to perform to get that security or to get that acceptance that they think they need or to get that security or that acceptance that was withheld from them when they were victimized. See, victimization can come through different forms of inadequacies. Sometimes inadequate finances early on or maybe feeling that you have inadequate ability. Maybe you've grown up all your life feeling like you didn't have the abilities that other people had. And see, that comes because we've not... We've not run to the Word. We've not allowed the Word to be our final authority. I've known people who were deprived growing up. They didn't have as much as they thought they needed. And years later, they may have had unlimited money, yet it will still affect them if they feel like they were a victim of poverty. See, it can cause them to either be stingy and greedy or it causes some people to go to the other extreme and become just extremely frivolous. Whichever. You know, it can be either extreme. But we're going to find that it's still coming from feeling victimized. Victimization can come through different forms of abandonment. For example, children who were left by their mother and father, sometimes maybe through death. But that child can sometimes, if they receive that victimization, they can grow up feeling very insecure, causing them to sometimes cling too tightly to a mate or, or, or maybe clinging too tightly to their own child. Thus, Never having a normal relationship. Now you need to mark this down because inadequacies attack our mind, attack the thought process. Anytime we feel like a victim of inadequacy, then it's going to create a, a crack in our protective wall that's around our mind. Where abandonment now attacks the emotions and it creates a break in the wall around our emotions. So inadequacies attack the mind, abandonment attacks the emotions. And staying in any of these areas of victimization now creates double-mindedness. And you know what James chapter 1 tells us about double-mindedness. It says that the man who is double-minded is unstable in all of his ways. Okay, remaining a victim in any area is going to cause us to finally be unstable in all areas of our life until it's dealt with. 
Now, there's no earthly way to name all the possible ways where victimization could have come in. Some people feel victimized by their parents when they were growing up. Some of them feel victimized by a certain dating relationship or maybe by a close friend. Some people feel victimized by the government, the IRS. You know, other people feel victimized by some teacher that put them down or maybe they had a lot of verbal abuse. Some people actually had physical attacks against them. Now, we've named sickness and and affliction. We've named curses, severe financial lack. And don't forget self-victimization. That's a big one. One of the common areas where people subconsciously set them up, themselves up to be a victim. And that happens so often. The best example that I can give you is the example of rejection. You know, many times a person will fear rejection. Maybe they've been rejected before and they began to fear rejection. And they will so many times set themselves up to be rejected. It's uncanny when you watch it. They feel rejection to the point that they actually say and do things that will cause people to reject them. They become a victim of their own self-victimization. They actually create situations that are conducive to being rejected. Now, I'm not saying that it's a conscious effort, but it's because they actually see themselves as a victim who's always being victimized. And because they see themselves that way, it's like a magnet, and it just draws it to them in the spiritual realm. Sometimes a person will set their goals or their expectations so high that they're unrealistic. And when they fall short, even though God's been doing a lot of good things in their life, they always think that God's let them down because they weren't able to reach those unrealistic goals. They feel like they're always falling short when in fact they've set themselves up to fail. They never see the blessings because they're always battling disappointment. That's a very common area of self-victimization, unrealistic expectations. Now, Satan's goal through this is to tear down a person's faith and to tear down their hope and cause them to just be enveloped in that disappointment. And what what it does, it causes a break in that spiritual protective wall around their spirit man and they begin to withdraw from God. Now, all of these things that we've named, these are some of the more common things that cause a person to feel victimized. These are, these are the things that we need to watch for. Now, we're going to stop here today, but next week we're going to look at examples from the Word of God on people who were in a position to be victimized. And we're going to see how they handled those situations. There's a lot to be learned from how these biblical people handle these situations. And then we're going to look at four of God's divine escapes from victimization. Now, God always has an answer for everything. Now, what I want to do is I want to challenge you this week to take the information that we've covered, and I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to show you areas where you have subconsciously seen yourself as as a victim. Now, some of you may not even realize that you've ever thought of yourself as being a victim of anything. But if you'll allow the Lord to prepare your heart and get you ready for next week, I believe that God's going to show every one of us some areas where we have subconsciously seen ourselves as a victim. And that means we've taken it in and we've subconsciously received it. We've, we've latched hold of it. And as long as we keep a hold of it, it's going to be ours. But I promise you next week can be very, very beneficial. So I'm going to pray over all of us, that we're going to have our heart and our mind open to the Lord. Father, I thank you that you have an answer for every single thing in the Word of God. 
Lord, I thank you that because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be a victim of anything. But Lord, I know that sometimes out of a either lack of knowledge or sometimes out of just denial or, or, or not seeking your face, Father, sometimes we're not even realizing, realizing that, that we've been held captive. And so, Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you will reveal to me, that you'll reveal to each one in the sound of my voice exactly what it is, the area where we have seen ourselves as a victim, where we've allowed the enemy to deceive us into receiving and hanging on to those things, Lord, that do not belong to us as children of the Most High God. Lord, I thank you that we can open ourselves up and we can ask you to reveal these things and, and that you will. So, Father, I thank you for doing that. I'm asking you to prepare our hearts this week. And I'm asking, Father, that next week as, as we reveal the answers from your word, I thank you, Lord, that we're going to be in a position to just allow those chains to just fall off of us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.